Well, my name is Tom Rubino, and I'm one of the pastors here. And as most of you know, today starts um, our senior pastor, David Silvernail's official six-month sabbatical. And in that time, our uh, senior interim pastor is Dave Doris. Where's Dave? Is he out there? Well, there he is. Okay, so if you have a problem with anything that I preach this morning, his address is ddoris at potomachills.org. Right there. <laughs> If you will, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 51 uh, this morning. And just so you know, for the sake of time, you know, we usually read the entire passage uh, right now. Instead, we're going to read it as we go along this morning. But uh, in the meantime, let me just ask you a question to think about here. Have you ever felt the sting of being unprepared for something? You know, sometimes we know something's coming, right? And we just procrastinate or we blow it off and we forget about it. And then when it winds up coming down the road, we're unprepared and we should have been, right? For example, I should have kept up with my reading so that when I walked into my 10th grade English class and my teacher said, okay, get out a couple pieces of paper because it's pressure writing day, I would have been prepared for that test. But I was not prepared for that test and scrambled to write whatever I had to write on the paper, and by some miracle, passed. But it wasn't easy. In fact, Mrs. Holsart, my teacher, wrote in, in quotation marks next to my grade, skin of teeth, is what she wrote. And she was right. So sometimes we're unprepared when we should have been, but sometimes something happens unexpectedly, and we're kind of caught off guard, right? And we have no idea what to do. You know, for another example, a personal example, is when we first moved here, my wife went out with some of the ladies from the church to go to the Green Turtle, I think it was, to, to sing karaoke, and I was at home with Bella. We didn't have mercy at that point. And very unusually, Bella was crying in the middle of the night, and I went to get her. She was whimpering. She was writhing, inconsolable. I, I, didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. She'd never been like this with me before. So I didn't know, should I take her to the ER? What, you know, what, should I just write it out? Try, I couldn't get a hold of Christine. And then what happened next, I was totally unprepared for, as Bella put projectile in the phrase projectile vomit. And there were the carrots from that night's dinner all over me, all over her, all over the living room floor, all over the kitchen floor. That's what I'm talking about. Totally unprepared. I put her in her high chair. She's screaming. I want to scream. I don't know who or what to clean up first. And thankfully, Christine walked in just at that moment. <laughs> now, I, I know you have your own life examples with stuff like this, right? I mean, getting called on in class when you're kind of daydreaming, thinking about the World Cup or something, right? Or maybe you get called into your boss's office and you get that uh, news that you're the next casualty in the next round of downsizing. Don't you love that word? Or maybe... It's when you've been staring at this disturbing test result that you just got from your doctor. Or maybe you're a parent and you are at the end of your rope and you don't know what to do to help one of your kids with something that they're wrestling and struggling with. Or maybe it's getting the news that you either have or are going to lose somebody that you love. We've all been in these situations and we all have dealt with the feelings that have arisen from them. And it's a wide range of things. Anything from helplessness and incompetence and self-contempt to guilt, to embarrassment, to shame, you know, moving on to anger, resentment, bitterness, even rage at times, 
to things like panic, fear, anxiety, loss, and pain. I mean, think of the time when you felt most unprepared. Can you still feel the sting of it a little bit in your heart this morning? You know, what if I told you that ignoring Jesus' words in this passage today will make what you felt in the past and what you're feeling now seem like small potatoes compared to what's coming down the pike? What if I said that dismissing Jesus' words this morning could lead to eternal consequences for you, consequences that you are completely and utterly unprepared to face? You know, as we get ready to look at this passage together, let's remember what Jesus has already declared, and let's hear the question that he confronts all of our hearts with this morning. He's already declared, I am coming back. I will return. And this morning he asks every single one of us, are you ready? For some of us this morning, this passage will encourage our hearts in faithfulness and readiness and make us long for Jesus to come back sooner. For others, it's going to be a bucket of cold water on your face because it's going to tell you to stop playing around. For others, it's going to be divine alarm clanging in your ears, graciously warning about the current and dangerous state of your soul. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, such uh, weighty subjects today. And I pray that even now you would be equipping me to faithfully preach your word to your flock this morning. And I pray for them and I pray for me that you would soften our hearts so that we would not only hear and listen to your words, but that we would also be changed by them. And I pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So my first point is Jesus will return. And this point is kind of a setting the stage kind of a point. Remember, chapter 24 begins with Jesus declaring the coming destruction of the temple, right? And that kind of leads to the disciples privately asking him a couple of questions in verse 3. You know, things like, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And we've talked about that in sermons past. But I want you to note something that the disciples already know and already believe that Jesus is coming back. They know he's coming back. They want to know when, and they want to know how they can know when. Right? And Jesus' response leaves no uncertainty regarding his second coming. He is coming back, and he gives them signs that will signal his return. In fact, the whole of Scripture testifies to this certainty. We read from Thessalonians this morning a place where it does that. Also, Acts 1 is after Jesus has been resurrected, and he's ascending, and the disciples are standing there gazing into the sky watching him. The angels, two angels say to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Paul encourages the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. James exhorts in James 5, 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of of the Lord. And finally, John writes in 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, 
abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And of course, John certainly leaves no doubt regarding Jesus' second coming in the book of Revelation, right? But what's my point? God's word testifies that Jesus is coming. And Jesus leaves no doubt that he will return. And his disciples had no doubt that he would be coming back to you. I mean, do you believe Jesus will return? And, and if you do, how does that certainty of his return impact the way that you live? How often do you think about it? You know, do you ever long for it? Are you ready for it? So Jesus will return. And after we brace that certainty that he will return, the natural, natural thing to wonder, along with the disciples, is when? When? Is, when will Jesus return? And Christians throughout history have tried to kind of, you know, read the time, so to speak, and pinpoint the exact time that Jesus would be coming back. I mean, countless books have been written, TV shows produced, and now blogs posted about his imminent return. I remember as the year 2000 approached, you remember that long ago? As the year 2000 approached, you know, the kind of the flood of end times, Jesus is coming back soon kind of kicked in, right? That kind of craziness. And there was this weekly TV show that I saw every now and then with an end times expert and his wife, and they filled every hour with the analysis of current events, especially where the Middle East, right? And they, you know, all showing how it all proved that Jesus' return was imminent, right? I mean, this guy could quote five passages from Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation before I could even say second coming, okay? I mean, he was good. And that was, that was 20 years ago. And to my knowledge, they're still on TV kind of doing the same thing. So this is nothing new. I remember walking into a Christian bookstore in 1994 and seeing a book called Why 1994 Could Be the Year That Jesus Returns. Well, that was interesting. And then I saw two copies of another book right next to it that said, why 1993 might be the year that Jesus returns. And I kind of scratched my head and thought, no, shouldn't those be discounted or something? You know, I don't. So my point is, is this kind of end times craziness is, is, nothing, is nothing new. I mean, I've kind of succumbed to it. And I'm sure maybe you have too at one time or another. You know, it's been going on since he left the first time and it's going to keep going on until he comes back the second time, even though Jesus clearly speaks to this in our passage this morning. So let's look at verse 36 in chapter 24. He says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Okay, so this is some serious exegesis of the Greek we have to do here, okay? But let me just tell you what it says. No one knows. <laughs> no one knows. Jesus is perfectly clear about that. No one knows except God the Father. So if the angels don't know, and if Jesus doesn't know, then it's probably a safe bet that you or I don't know and that we can't know, right? Well, some people will say, well, okay, we can't know the day or the hour, but we can know the month and the year. Have you ever heard someone say that? Well, the problem is, is Jesus is not setting parameters to kind of guide our interpretation of end times prophecy here. He's answering the disciples' question and saying no one can know. So whether it's the century, the decade, the year, the month, the day, the hour, the minute, whatever it may be, 
No one knows when Jesus is coming back except God the Father. Now, we, I, I, I was tempted to kind of dodge this, but we can't spend a whole lot of time on this, but this kind of raises a question here. So let's just stop a second and talk about something, because if you're like me and you read Jesus' words here, you're feeling a little uneasy because you're wondering to yourself, how can Jesus be God and not know something, right? At least I do. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, okay, I'm just going to be up front that we're never going to fully understand this. We can just take our best stab. There are just some things that belong to mystery, and this is one of them. And we need to be careful in our wrestling because a lot of folks have gotten themselves in trouble throughout history trying to wrestle with things like this. But we, we, we will wrestle. What I would say is in this short time is that, remember, Jesus is fully God. He's fully divine. So he is all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent in his divine nature. But he is also fully human. And in his human nature, he got tired. He got hungry. He sweat in the garden. He bled. He died. So one cautious and careful way to kind of look at this is to say that while Jesus was fully God and possessed the divine, all the divine attributes in his wisdom, in his submission to the Father's will, and in order to be fully human, he voluntarily chose not to use some of those divine attributes during most of his earthly ministry. And that's just one cautious attempt to explain how, on the one hand, Jesus can divinely know that the destruction of the temple is coming within 40 years, and yet at the same time not humanly know the exact date and time of his second return. So, if you want to wrestle more with that, okay, we're going to need to do that over a cup of coffee, or you're going to need to invite me over to your house, and we'll sit on the porch with an adult beverage and a pipe, and we'll try and see what we can come up with. But let me just give you one word of encouragement. As you, as you wrestle with this, okay, um, be careful that you don't sacrifice Jesus' humanity for the sake of his divinity. He was and is and needs to be fully both, okay? So let's just all take a deep breath. Deep waiting in the theological pool there. So let's get back on track as far as um, this passage. So we all like to know when Jesus is coming back, but we don't, and we can't. And I suspect that if we were honest with ourselves, part of the reason we want to know when he's coming back is because knowing would probably lead us to live our lives differently, wouldn't it? I mean, I bet if, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, there would probably be a little shift in your priorities during the rest of today. And me too, right? It's just like that question, you know, what would you do if you knew you had a year left to live, right? And, and I, well, I, I check off all the things on my bucket list. I would spend more time with loved ones, you know, and, and things like that. But the bigger question always is, as all the Hallmark movies tell us and songs that have been written, why aren't you living that way now, right? In, in light of the uncertainty of the timing of your own death, why aren't you, as Tim McGraw sang a while back, living like you were dying in the here and now, making the most of every day and every moment. And Jesus is driving home the same point. 
about living for him and living for his kingdom. It's like he's saying, guys, you don't know when I'm coming back, so live every day like it could be your last one here on earth. Every day be ready for my return. It shouldn't take you knowing when I'm coming back in order to motivate you to live fully for me, for me now. So rather than worrying about the dates and the times and all that stuff, pour your energy into living for me and my kingdom in the here and now. And Jesus drives this all home to his disciples and to us this morning in the next couple of sections. So let's turn to one of those sections, verses 37 through 44, where Jesus exhorts us to be ready because he will return unexpectedly. Verse 37, As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taking, taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would never have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." So Jesus is stressing the unexpectedness of his return. He does this first by referencing the historical event of Noah and the flood. And just to give you some context, remember, you know, the wickedness of human beings have, has reached to such a level, this is Genesis 6 we're talking, okay, that God decides that he is going to wipe them out by flooding the earth, yet preserving a remnant, his seed, through Noah and his family, whom he tells to build an ark, to escape the coming judgment, or a big boat, if you, know, if you don't know what that means. Now the issue is not that all those outside of Noah's circle were eating, drinking, and marrying. I mean, these are good and necessary things that human beings should be doing. His point is they were so caught up in the routine of daily life that they were not prepared for the coming flood. Now, they had to be aware to some extent, right, because I mean, a guy doesn't spend 100 years plus building this big boat without people asking questions, right? And even, sec even Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 5, he says that Noah was a herald of righteousness, which implies that Noah wasn't exactly quiet about why he was building his boat and what was coming. But they didn't listen to Noah, and they didn't believe God, and they got caught up in business as usual, and as a result were totally unprepared for the flood that came and swept them all away to their destruction. You know, it's, it's kind of like the employee that gets called into his boss's office and he sits down and the boss tells him that this is going to be his last day because he's been fired, right? And the employee is like just shocked and offended and first question is, well, what did I do wrong? And the boss kind of pulls up the HR reports that he's been filing and he says, well, you showed up work, you know, three days out of five for a couple of weeks. When you did show up, you actually worked maybe six hours a day before going home, and half that time you were on your cell phone talking to your friends or surfing the web. I mean, isn't this your signature and all these HR reports that I've, you know, filed? And the employee says, well, yeah, but I can't believe you're firing me. It's kind of like that. 
the flood literally came unexpectedly in this sense, that it started with a sprinkle, and then it began to rain, and then it began to pour, and it poured rain for days, and then it began to flood. But it didn't come without warning. They had no excuse to not be ready for it. So that's the first example Jesus uses. The next is another illustration to stress his unexpected return. He does this by highlighting the suddenness of separation caused by his return. He says, two men will be working in the field. One will be left, one will be taken. Two women will be grinding the daily grain together. One will be left and the other will be taken. You see, Jesus is not going to send you a text when he decides to come back. Right? You're not going to hear a ding. OMG, it's me, JC. You know, I'm, I'm finally coming. Better get ready, LOL. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen that way. He'll come when you least expect it. When you're watching TV and you're watching 24 on a Monday night, at least for three more weeks. When you're about to click on the send button at work. When you're you know, shooting hoops when you're with your friends, when you're doing your morning devotional, when you're putting your check in the offering plate, when you're sleeping with your coworker, when you're drinking yourself into oblivion, when you're riveted to the most vile website. You will come unexpectedly. Are you staying awake? Are you watchful? Are you ready? You know, Jesus also tells us that his coming will be like a thief coming in the night, right? Well, you know, some guy who's going to rob my house, you know, he's, he's not going to post it on Facebook first. You know, he's, he's not going to change his status right before he comes over to something like feeling a little mischievous, robbing the Rubino's house tonight, you know? <laughs> because if he did, I would find out about it and I would be expecting him and I'd be waiting for him. And I'd be sitting in a chair with maybe a shotgun across my lap, just waiting and prepared, right? No, thieves come at an hour when they think you're asleep. They come on a day and a time that they think you'll least expect them. And so it will be when Jesus comes back the next time. Are you staying awake? Are you waiting for him? Jesus is going to return unexpectedly. Are you ready? Now, before I go on, you folks who follow the sermon outline in the bulletin, you need to know, I just take, take a deep breath, I've changed the title for the fourth point, okay? In your bulletin it says, Jesus will come sooner than you think, but I'm going to change that now to being ready for Jesus' return. I've changed it, because while the next section does involve unexpectedness and the danger of betting on Jesus' return being delayed, it's more about contrasting those who are prepared for Jesus' return with those who are not. So with that in mind, if you'll join me, let's read the last section here, verses 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know 
and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, essentially, the faithful and wise servant is the one who is ready, who is watchful, who is prepared. He's the one who is faithfully carrying out his master's business when his master returns. He takes the position and the responsibilities he's been given seriously, and he acts in such a way that his conduct brings honor to his master's name and his master's house. That servant diligently discharges his duties his master is given to him, and he is called blessed, and he is rewarded when the master returns. And what Jesus is saying to us is that being ready means faithfully carrying out the master's business every day, regardless of when your master might return, showing the same diligence and faithfulness, regardless of whether our master returns in the next five minutes, the next five days, the next five years, the next five millennia. In contrast to that, the wicked servant is the one who banks on his master's delayed return. And we see the evil in his heart come out, right? Because in his mind, he sees accountability as being far off in the distance for his actions. So he does what he wants to do. As, you know, maybe planning on cleaning up his act just before his master gets back, as if his master's not going to find out what he did anyway, right? As if another servant isn't going to rat him out and say, hey, do you know how this guy treated us? You know, or maybe one of his friends will go to the master and say, hey, you know, uh, saw your servant in shenanigans just about every day, pounding brewskis and sucking down sliders. Are you sure you want to put this guy, you know, in charge next time? You know, it's, it's kind of like an assistant pastor who knows a senior pastor is on a six-month sabbatical. <laughs> well, on, on second thought, it's not like that at all. <laughs> But my point is, is that the servant wasn't ready for his master's return. He showed himself to be his master's servant in name only, and he showed his true colors when he thought he could get away with it. And his conduct brought shame upon himself and upon his master and his master's house. And Jesus is crystal clear about what awaits servants that fall into this category. He says that his master will cut him in pieces. You know, there's a, a lot of debate on, to, on whether or not when Jesus says this, he means it literally. But, you know, for me personally, whether it's literal or not, it doesn't sound like a very pleasant punishment to me. And on top of that, he says that they will be put with the hypocrites in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you know Matthew, the book of Matthew, you know that that's the phrase that Matthew uses over and over again to signify hell that place of eternal anguish and torment where those who are sent there experience. So Jesus is not playing around with this be ready business and neither should we. You see, this morning we're being confronted with questions and we have to ask ourselves, you know, which servant am I? You know, am I ready for my master's return? Now, for, for those of you who are truly Christians, the last thing I want you to leave thinking today is, you know, Jesus could come tomorrow. I, I, I better start doing more stuff for the kingdom. You know, it might be good to think about your contribution to the kingdom, but that's not what I want you to leave with. This is less about doing more stuff for the kingdom 
and more about having a heart that is captivated by the king and his kingdom. You see, the servant's conduct displayed his faithfulness, right? It demonstrated it, but the servant was faithful because he loved his master, and he treasured being part of his master's house. This was the motivation for doing his master's business. So let the are you ready question stir some honest reflection in you, but don't let it drive you to to this, you know, I've got to work harder at being a good and ready Christian, okay, or to please God or to make him love me. Instead, let that reflection lead you to think about how you can love Jesus more and be more like him, and let it remind you how much you need his grace to be and to do all those things. So that being said, here are some ways to reflect upon the are you ready question, to reflect upon your gospel-driven readiness, if I could say it that way. You know, ask yourself, how is my heart towards the Lord? Is it, is it soft? Is it hard? Have I gotten lazy in my faith? You know, how, how would my priorities change if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow or next month or next year or 10 years from now? What role am I playing in bringing people to the kingdom? Am I being a good student with the gifts that I've been given, with the money I've been given, with the time on earth that I've been given? You know, do I, do I long for Jesus to come back? Or am I too caught up in the things of this world, this world which is fading away? You know, how, how am I or how have I become more like Jesus? Where do I need his grace and empowerment to change me? You know, has, has God's grace and the gospel become old hat to me? What would repentance look like for me today? See, these are all the questions I've been asking myself this week. And I encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to reflect on those. But just know, beloved brother and sister, that we need to flee to Jesus Christ for the grace that we need for this kind of gospel-driven readiness. Jesus, our great high priest, who even now is in the throne room, praying for us, interceding for us regarding these things, let us run to him knowing that God is for us. He is for us, his children. And the cross is the beacon that proves it, that testifies to it. Won't, won't the one, the God who did not spare even his own son for us, won't he give us what we need as we struggle to be gospel-driven ready? Of course he will. Now some of you here this morning may not be believers in Christ. but the, your, the king's delay is kind of showing the true state of your heart because it's revealing that you don't really know King Jesus. And, and it's showing that the fruit that you produce is not kingdom fruit, but it's more the fruit of sin and death. So some of you might be pretending to be a Christian or you think you won. Some of you aren't Christians and you really have no intention of becoming one. You may be apathetic towards Christianity or maybe you think all this stuff I've been talking about is a bunch of hooey. I've been there and done that. Maybe you're even hostile towards the gospel. Or maybe you're even like one of those who mocked Noah's call to get ready. Right? Still building that boat, huh, old man? Oh, God said a flood is coming, huh? Flood of judgment, is that right? Can you believe this crazy, ignorant fool? If that's you 
listen to me. If you are not a Christian, if you are not in Christ, you are not and you will not be prepared for the flood that is coming. For you, being ready this morning looks like you fleeing to Jesus Christ. Seeing that you need forgiveness for your sins. Believing that Jesus is the Savior whom can save you from those sins. Trusting that his death on the cross is enough to pay for those sins. And his perfect life supplies the righteousness you need to fulfill God's holy demands. Displaying the kingdom fruit that comes only one way. The fruit that comes from a dead heart that's been injected with the living faith in Christ. If you want to know more about those things, please come and talk to me after the service. I would love to talk to you. But what I ask you is do not delay because you may not have as much time as you think. You see, because when the rain starts to sprinkle, it's too late to flee for refuge in the ark of Christ. When suddenly there's one spouse drinking coffee at the kitchen table when there were just two, it's too late to start thinking about, am I prepared? When you wake up and your plasma TV is gone and the silverware's history and all your stuff is thrown all around the house, it's too late to be ready by installing your eternal security system. You see, here's the reality that every single one of us in this room have to face this morning, and that is that Jesus could come back at any time. He could return right now, even after this last sentence. But even if he doesn't, and even if he delays, none of us have the guarantee that we will see tomorrow. Do you realize that? Some of us who are here this Sunday may not be here with us next Sunday. See, God has sovereignly decreed the number of years that we have on this earth, but we don't know what they are. I mean, you, you could take your last breath today. I could take my last breath today. It could be a heart attack in this very auditorium. It could be a drunk or reckless driver on your way home. It could be a freak accident or fall at home. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are. You never think you're going to die when you do. My father never thought he would be 51 and die from a heart attack. You know, to, to my departed high school classmates who worked at the World Trade Center, you know, it was just another September 11th when they went to work that morning. To Julie, my 28-year-old co-worker at the seminary, she never thought that that would be the last time that she would climb up on that treadmill. Our lives are like mists. They're like a vapor. They're like smoke. A smoke that even the gentlest breeze can dissipate and blow away. Our lives are a quick blip on the radar of time. Are you ready this morning? You see, we're all drowning. But let's stop thinking that all we need is a couple of swimming lessons. And let's run to Christ, the only one who can rescue us. Let's pray. Father, we cast ourselves upon you and ask you for your grace and your mercy. First of all, I pray for anyone who's here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and put their trust and faith in him. And I pray 
that they would not leave here this morning without doing so. I pray that you would soften their hearts and have them receive your gospel. And Father, I pray for those of, those of us who know you already. We thank you. We thank you that you have rescued us when we didn't deserve it. And I just ask for all of us, including myself, that you would stir in our hearts a desire to love you and be more like you and to each day show, our, show ourselves to be ready for your coming. And I pray you would stir our hearts that we would just long for the day when you would come back and all this world will be gone and we'll be in new bodies that don't sin with no tears and no more pain and no more death and dying. And I pray that you would stir that in us and make us long for that day. And like the Apostle John, Father, I pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And I pray these in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.